Good morning, church. This is the uh, fourth time I've preached this weekend, and this is, um, this is, you are my closest family. Uh, this is the service that my wife and I normally attend, and um, I want to thank many of you who have gone out of your way to pray for me and, and uh, give me words of encouragement. Uh, I truly appreciate it. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 as the text for our message this morning. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Beginning in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Pray with me. Father, we we come before you this morning humbly. Father, we want to submit ourselves to the word of your truth. As I speak and guide us through this study this morning, Lord, I pray that this very moment you would strengthen me, that you would put your words in my mouth, Father. It is the desire of my heart to bring glory and honor to the name of Christ and to the words of your Holy Scripture. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we began our study of the Sermon on the Mount back several months ago, beginning in chapter 5, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, where he teaches his disciples the proper view of themselves. Then he teaches them the proper way to relate to the world, telling them to be salt and light. And he moves to a proper understanding of our daily living and conduct, teaching us not to live to show ourselves righteous in order to gain the praise of men, but to desire to have inward heart attitudes of righteousness towards them as well. Jesus identifies the corrupt practices of the scribes and the Pharisees and gives us corrective teaching on the proper understanding needed to fulfill the Mosaic law that the Pharisees had perverted. He teaches the proper practice of prayer, fasting, giving, and gives us prohibitions against anger, divorce, retaliation, the taking of oaths, and hatred towards our enemies. In the past few weeks, we have seen how Jesus would have us deal with earthly treasures and the sin of worrying about them. He teaches us not to be so concerned about the trappings and pleasures of this world, but as citizens of heaven, 
to have a kingdom focus. We are to lay up our treasure in heaven, not being anxious about the material things of this world. We are to rely on God for our needs, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So here in chapter 7, we move into the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus shifts the focus, teaching us how to deal with each other, with our brothers. Throughout Matthew's gospel, the term brother frequently refers to a fellow believer. So Jesus teaches us here about judgment and correction of others within the community of believers. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the behavior of the scribes and Pharisees to illustrate hypocrisy. Remember the words of Christ in chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus here is giving a scathing indictment of the Pharisees' self-righteous attitudes and behaviors. He condemns their harsh, condemning criticism of others who in their judgment fail to measure up to their own definitions of spirituality. Chapter 6, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. In verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues to be seen by others. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. All these verses focus on the hypocrisy of displaying their external righteousness for the sake of the praise and recognition of others, while inwardly their hearts were not humble before the Lord. You see, the Pharisees had constructed an elaborate and burdened set of laws and standards which had very little to do with the God-given Mosaic law. Their focus was on external actions, while their inner spiritual lives were devoid of a true devotion and obedience to God. Jesus now forbids us to bring the same attitude of hypocrisy into our relationships with each other, our brothers. Jesus covers this subject about how we're to deal with one another in 12 verses. 12 verses. There's books written on how to deal with each other. People take their master's degree, get PhDs in psychology and human behavior. Jesus sums it up in 12 simple verses. In the first six verses, he tells us what not to do. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> in the last six verses, he tells us what we should do. The negative versus the positive, the do's and the don'ts. This morning, we will consider the do nots. <clears throat> Verse 1 of our text again reads, Judge not that you be not judged. This verse might be the most often quoted New Testament verse in 21st century America. I'm sure that somewhere along the way, somebody's thrown that verse at you. Yes? Have you ever heard that verse before? Judge not that you be judged. I've heard it hundreds of times. 
This verse is often wrongly interpreted to mean that we are prohibited from exercising any judgment of any action. It is commonly used to champion the cause of tolerance. It is also wrongly quoted as a prohibition against church discipline. Both of these assumptions are wrong. Wrong conclusions. The scriptures are full, both in the New Testament and Old Testament, regarding the proper exercising of judgment and discernment. In fact, one only has to look at verse 15 of this very same chapter, where Jesus tells us to beware of false prophets. The only way we can accomplish this is by using judgment or discernment. So in dealing with the community of believers, we must be willing to judge two primary areas of conduct. Sin in our relationships with each other and false teaching of fundamental biblical doctrines. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us instructions, in fact, how to deal with a sinning brother. First, to approach him individually. If he rejects you, then go with two or three witnesses. If he rejects you again, we are to go to the church. And finally, if all attempts fail at repentance and reconciliation, we are to cast him out of the fellowship. Sounds like judgment to me, right? We have to exercise judgment in these matters. It's required of us. The Apostle Paul writes a stern warning to the church in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9. He writes, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he reminds Timothy of his pastoral duty to preach the word in season and out of season. This means at all times, not when it's convenient not when it makes us feel good. The word of God is to guide our daily actions, our daily decision-making processes. God's word is supreme. He continues by saying, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. If you pay attention to Christian culture around us, that's happening right now. So many false messages being sent out. So many people being misled by the passions of their flesh. It's a tragedy. But Paul saw it in advance and he's warning us. He's warning Timothy and he's warning us right now to be mindful of these things. So in view of these scriptures, and there's many more, I just brought forward a few. In view of these scriptures and God's truth, this verse cannot mean that we should not judge anyone or anything. It just can't be. We must be willing to confront sin among believers and heresy and doctrine. False doctrine will lead us into vain ideas of man. And if we ignore the sin Within our fellowship, it will destroy our fellowship. The true doctrines of the kingdom, which are meant to guide us in truth, will instead be relegated to negotiated consensus. That's not God's will. 
The true meaning that Jesus here is teaching us is prohibition of hypocritical, harsh, and condemning judgment. The language and structure of this verse in verse 1 leads us to the idea that this practice of hypocritical judgment was already taking place. Jesus had observed this behavior not only among the Pharisees and the scribes, but among the disciples, the believers at that time. The language and tense of verse 3 confirms this interpretation. It asks a direct question of the hearers, which confirms their present activity. Why do you see the speck that is in your own eye, in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? This is a direct question of people who were listening to him. It's not a rhetorical question. It is a direct question addressing the condition that Jesus saw at this very time. The log here should be understood as the sin of self-righteousness. What Jesus is forbidding here is self-righteous, officious, hasty, unmerciful, prejudiced, and an unwarranted condemnation based on human standards and human understanding. In this section of scripture, he gives us three reasons why such judgments are sinful. First, it reveals a wrong view of God. Second, it reveals a wrong view of each other. Third, it reveals a wrong view of ourselves. Let's look at the wrong view of God. Verse 1 again. Judge not that you be not judged. Jesus here is reminding the scribes and the Pharisees and those of us who may act like Pharisees that we and they are not the final court. To judge another person's motives or to curse to condemnation is for us to play God. James 4.12 reads, There is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We dare not make judgments on salvation. That is the place of God alone. In Romans 14 verse 4, we read, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. We will all stand before God, and God is the one that makes the judgment, not us. Human judgment is characterized by three things. One, impure motives. Two, rash and hasty decisions. Three, condemning attitudes. Our human standards are not perfect. We all have prejudices. We don't know all the facts. When we play God and condemn in a harsh manner, exercising unwarranted judgment, we are making judgment that only God is qualified to make. Have any of us allowed us ourselves to play God? I know I have. I have to confess I have had an attitude of self-righteousness from time to time. It's a human condition. We have to be on guard about it all the time. We need to confess this sin to God and turn away from it, repent of it, recognizing that God alone is the judge. This leads us to the second wrong view. 
wrong view of others. Verse 2 we read, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The idea here is that God will treat us with the same measure of mercy and grace that we extend to others, to each other. This language also parallels, <coughs> excuse me, this language here <coughs> parallels several other verses in chapter 6. <clears throat> and the idea being presented here should be familiar to us. Verse 12, part of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven others. Whenever I read that verse, part of me cringes, right? We're actually, in a way, asking God to be merciful to us in the same way that we're merciful to others. And I know I'm not merciful in the way that God expects me to do all the time. Verse 14 and 15 reads, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. What Jesus is teaching us here is that a believer should expect that God will treat him in a similar way that we treat each other. If we judge harshly, if we, we can expect harsh judgment from our Father in heaven. If we judge mercifully, we can expect merciful judgment from God our Father. See, the issue here is that people who typically exercise this harsh judgment These are people who see themselves as superior, and they act like the Pharisees. When we lift ourselves up, when I I lift myself up in the effort of receiving praise and honor from men, everyone else is by necessity lowered. If I raise myself, everyone around me is lower. And this is not the way that Christ would have us act. In preparing the message and reading and studying uh, you know, at several points, I realized God showed me the Pharisee in me. I have been guilty of that attitude. I'm ashamed to admit it. And I think each one of us needs to ask ourselves, is there some Pharisee in me? Is there some Pharisee in me? You see, it's human nature. Pride infects us all. And we must consciously be working at laying aside our pride about seeing ourselves in truth, being merciful to others. You see, God's view of our brothers, his children, is totally different than ours. God has no double standards. His judgments are true and just. His judgments are made at the proper time and the proper way, not hasty, not without cause. We are reminded of this in Psalm 86, verse 15. It reads, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in steadfast love and faithfulness. Can I hear a hallelujah? Are you grateful that God has demonstrated himself in this way to you? God is merciful. He is patient. He is kind. He has not snapped us off the earth and sent us where we belong, like John referred to in communion. 
God is merciful. God is merciful. Rich in mercy, slow to anger. We need to remember this. We need to have a desire to emulate these qualities in our relationships with each other. Mercy, grace, patience, loving kindness. This leads us to the wrong view of ourselves. In verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. A proper view of ourselves is required before we can be helpful to others. We must all recognize that we are forgiven sinners. And it is by grace alone through the atoning death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are acceptable to God. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that we are forgiven sinners. When we come to faith in Christ, we don't become perfect. We don't become perfect. The process of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is a lifelong a lifelong work. God slowly chipping off the edges, forming us more and more into the image of Christ. Amen? We need to remember that. In the Beatitudes, chapter 5, Jesus reminds us that those who are meek, meaning those that have a low opinion of ourselves, to see ourselves in truth, those who mourn, here he means to mourn over our own sinful condition, and those that are merciful, these are the ones that will be blessed. They will also be in a position to be a blessing to others who are dealing with sin in their own lives. Paul helps us to understand these, this idea further in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It reads, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with what? Sober judgment. Sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Without a correct view of our own sinfulness, we cannot exercise the proper level of gentleness and mercy that Christ requires of us in dealing with each other. Haughtiness and self-righteousness will prevent us from demonstrating the love of Christ. There's a well-known 17th century Puritan preacher, preacher excuse me, by the name of John Owen. You may have heard his name. He wrote many, many books. He wrote one book titled The Mortification of Sin. And in this book, chapter 2, he makes this statement, which I find to be true. Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you. See, this sin of self-righteousness prevents us from doing that. We have to grab that mammoth log and yank it out of our eyes and get on our knees and pray for God's mercy and grace, for the strength to live the way that he calls us to live. This log, again, is the sin of self-righteousness, the holier-than-thou attitude of superiority that stands in the way of gentleness and earnestness. 
When we're confronted with situations where sin must be addressed, forgetting that I too am a sinner prevents me from any usefulness at all. In fact, if I am blinded in this way, I can do great damage. Over the years, I've had the, uh, the great pleasure of being involved in many church, a beautiful fellowship, a small group of believers. And when I was reading these scriptures and studying, looking at the commentaries and getting the, the true message, the Lord brought to mind many situations that I've been in in many church. This is where kind of the rubber meets the road. We unburden ourselves among people who we know we're safe with, our brothers and sisters who have struggles just like ours. It's been a blessing to be around people who, uh, in my times of trouble, have exercised mercy and grace to me. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling and I'm caught in sin, the last thing I need to hear is preaching. Amen? That's the last thing I need to hear. What is it that we want? Mercy. Love. Compassion. Gentleness. Right? The qualities that God uses to lead us to repentance and faith. Amen? D.L. Moody, a well-known 19th century evangelist, preacher, author, founder of the Moody Church and the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, is credited with speaking these words. I have had more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man I've ever met. Can you identify with that? I can put my name there. I certainly have had more trouble with Ed Lee than any man I have ever met. If you can understand that position with that, in that position of our soul, then you are in the right place. That's where we need to dwell, being careful and watchful of our own lives, not be looking around for someone to criticize, not looking for opportunities to lift ourselves up, but to thank God for the mercy and grace that he shows us every single day. The classic portrayal of self-righteousness is given to us in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, verses 11 through 14. The Pharisee, standing by himself, he had separated himself from everyone else to bring attention to himself, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Beating his chest, bringing glory to him. Right? But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm convinced that unless you can identify yourself with the tax collector, that we cannot be saved. He had no self-righteousness. He saw himself clearly. And when he saw himself clearly, what did he do? 
he cried out to the Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Until we inhabit that place, each one of us, our attitudes cannot be right towards God. We need to clearly see who we are. We need to clearly see who God is and pray for his mercy and grace and forgiveness. In this passage, who has the log in his eye? Pharisee or the tax collector? The Pharisee. Got a two-by-four sticking out of the side of his head. Who among us at some point has not looked upon another in a self-righteous and condescending manner? We have acted like Pharisees. We have. And I am ashamed to confess that I certainly have. Can you see how easy it is to walk down this path? It's so easy for us to think too highly of ourselves. And there's scripture after scripture that tells us not to do that. When we start getting absorbed again in our self-righteousness, our focus goes off Jesus. It comes to us. And that's always big trouble. And in fact, when we spend time in self-righteousness and condemning people, succumbing to our fleshly views, we also find ourselves visiting the cousin of self-righteousness, gossip. And this is an abomination in the sight of our Lord. We need to pray for each other, encourage each other, lift each other up to the Lord. Gossip has no place in the church. So let's talk about the right attitudes. We've had the wrong attitudes toward God, wrong attitudes toward each other, Wrong, attitude, wrong ideas and attitudes about ourselves. How do we come to the right attitudes? Understanding these wrong views, how we can come, we can come to a different position of seeing things with God's, with Christ's vision. Like for every other situation we face in life, we can find the right answers, the right attitudes, the right counsel in God's word. We should be so thankful that we have God's word for guidance and direction. It's God's truth. Right? Jesus said, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Galatia, gives us further instructions about dealing with these types of situations. There's a danger of being drawn into sinful attitudes and behavior when we confront sin in others. Galatians 6 Verses 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul here is warning us that in the process of dealing with sin, we too can be drawn into sin if we're not careful. The tenor and tone of our conversation should be carefully watched. We want to guard against the attitude of the Pharisees. Guard against it constantly. Again, Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility 
and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see the theme here? Do you see where we need to turn away from the, from the attitudes of the Pharisees? What Christ would have for us? The theme of gentleness and love, loving care for each other. This is how we maintain the spirit and the bond of peace. All our efforts to bring correction when needed should be grounded in these reasons. We must never, ever bring a spirit of condemnation towards any brother or sister in Christ. God alone is our judge, and he alone can rightly see the content of our hearts. I don't know Henry's heart. I know Henry, but I don't know the motivations that make him move and think. God does. Our prayers for each other should be for us, for God to construct in us a right attitude, an attitude of humility towards him and towards each other. Our desire should to be to bring peace, reconciliation, brotherly love, and gentle encouragement, all for the edification, edification of the body and for the glory of Christ. God has been gracious to us all. He has been patient with us. His kindness meant to lead us to repentance and faith. We need to imitate his behavior with each other as dearly loved children of our Father in heaven. We need to remember, and John reminded us in communion, Jesus does not condemn sinners. He came to redeem them. Jesus does not condemn sinners. He came to redeem them. A beautiful picture of this is demonstrated for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, when the scribes and Pharisees brought the Israelite woman who was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus and asked him if they should stone her as the law prescribed. When they brought this woman forward to Jesus with the intent of their heart to have him participate in this stoning, I'm sure they did not anticipate the answer that Christ gave them. Jesus answered this way. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. The older ones first. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She answered, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. This is the attitude that we should have with one another, encouraging each other to repent, to turn away from sin, The concluding verse here in, chap- in, in, in this chapter, a section of Scripture, verse 6, is kind of a disjointed verse from the rest of the text. It kind of takes a little left turn away from the, from the message, but it definitely has a purpose. Verse 6 reads, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. 
Just as the previous verses precluded wrong judgment, here Jesus' instructions to us require us to use good judgment. To be obedient to this command, we must be able to properly identify the dogs and the hogs. Who are they? Who are the dogs and the hogs? Sound like a couple of football teams. The dogs and the hogs. In biblical times, dogs were seldom kept as pets. Except for the dogs which were trained to use to herd sheep, dogs were mostly half-wild mongrels that scavenged for food. They were dirty, greedy, snarling, often vicious and diseased. Remember the account of the rich man, of the, of, excuse me, of Lazarus laying at the gates of the rich man where we were told the dogs came and licked his sores. They were not the little dogs we have on our laps today. Swine were considered by the Jews to be a, the standard of uncleanness. A Jew would never attempt to, dem, to domesticate a pig. And because of this, most of the hogs were like the dogs, wild animals foraging for food for themselves. Like the scavenging dogs, they were greedy, vicious, and filthy. If you, came, if you came between them and their food, they would likely turn on you and tear you to pieces with their tusks and sharp hooves. So the idea here in this verse is that certain truths and blessings of our faith are not to be shared with people who are totally antagonistic towards God. Such people are the dogs and the hogs. Those who have no appreciation for what is holy and righteous. They will take our pearls, our, our words of truth, those things which are, ho- are holy, as foolishness, as an, an insult. They will turn on us and with vicious and insulting language tear us to pieces. I've experienced that myself. Sometimes it can be fearful. People have such an anger towards God. When, our, mer- when our, our message of reconciliation is met with this kind of vulgar and violent language, blaspheming God, we must make the judgment to shake off the dust of our feet, as Jesus instructed his disciples in Matthew 10 when he sent them out. He said, if they don't receive your message, shake off the dust of your feet, move on to the next town. But even in these circumstances, when we receive this kind of response, angry words, blaspheming words, we must be careful not to walk away with a smug, self-righteous attitude. We have to remember that that was me. Ten years ago, I would have spoke that way. Only but for the grace of God have I come to the place I am now. We cannot walk away with smug, self-righteous attitudes. We must leave them to the Lord, trusting somehow that his Holy Spirit can penetrate their hearts. We must remember again that except for the grace of God showed to us, we would still be like them. We can't give in to our flesh and sink into argumentative and condemning attitudes with unbelievers. We can't do that. We should mourn and pray over them. 
in the last few years working in the evangelism ministry here at Hope Chapel, I've had those situations arise many times. And I remember a quote by Charles Spurgeon, the uh, famous evangelist. And he said something to the effect that if you don't have tears in your eyes, you should have tears in your voice. See, if we truly mourn over people's fallen condition, that's where you have to come from. We have to remember that we too were just like them until God extended his mercy and grace to us. That was us. That was us. God is sovereign over the affairs of men and the kingdom of heaven. Our prayer should be that our great God show mercy to them and open their eyes and open their ears to the truth of the gospel. If you're like me, I, you all probably have family members who don't know the Lord. And over the years and preaching gospel messages on the streets and, and teaching the class and reading God's word, I frequently think about my own family. I come from a large family. I actually was born into a Mormon church. My parents were Mormon. They believed a totally wrong doctrine, wrong view of God, wrong view of themselves. And I continually pray for them. I pray. And my prayer is for God to show mercy to them. See, it's by God's mercy alone that we are changed. So if you have family who's not saved, that should be your prayer. God, have mercy on them. Open their eyes to the truth. Draw them to you, Father. Draw them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words, the words of Jesus on our attitudes towards each other. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace that you've shown to us. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, for your patience with us.